listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! Go to creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter and subscribe so you never miss an episode and you're able to make consistent creative progress each and every week. Let's get into this episode. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. ever heard the idea if you want to succeed in creativity focus on the work and the success will follow i love this idea it when i first heard this idea i thought it felt like water in the desert it was like oh man all i got to do is be an artist i don't need to worry about there it's it's seductive that feeling of you know all i have to do is follow my bliss and everything will work out now I that I tr- I've tried that different times um, to various levels of success, but ultimately I'm not sure it's that simple. I'm not sure it's really art is a meritocracy. We just have a lot of examples of the contrary. Uh, you know, great art will find its audience. This idea, you know, I think that is true, but I think it's only half true. Just ask Vincent Van Gogh or Nick Drake. They'll tell you that it is true that great art will find its audience, but it's missing the part that they might find you after you're gone. The idea that art has nothing to do with its audience is a very popular idea. Uh, I think it's kind of universally accepted as just, you know, full on truth. But to my knowledge, it's a relatively new idea maybe even only just like 100 years old, comes from a philosopher guy who I heard about on the internet, Walter Benjamin of the Frankfurt School, popularized this idea that a true artist would do their work, whether they're on stage at the Apollo to the sound of hundreds of adoring fans or toiling on a desert island. The desert island artist has become like the the kind of pinnacle, the 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 hailed as the only true artist. It's a very popular trope. Only artists that are celebrating and toiling and suffering in isolation uh, and obscurity for their art, like some kind of Tom Hanks cast away to their basement, desperately try to build creative fires to keep themselves warm in, in total obscurity. That That's an artist. But of course, we can't really honor Hanks either because... Was he just doing it for the praise of Wilson? We'll never know. 
build it and they will come. Who said it? Pablo Picasso? Beyonce? Keith Haring? Jordan Peele? Jesus? Was it Jesus who said that? Was it Tom Hanks? No, it was none of them. It was Kevin Costner, who, if you don't know, is kind of somewhere between Tom Hanks and Tim Allen. And in that way, kind of maybe like, uh, you know, if Buzz and Woody had a baby, that's Kevin Costner. And the line, this line, build it and they will come, of course, comes from 90s magical realism movie Field of Dreams. But even that's a lie because he never even said that, that's not even the line. And in fact, it wasn't even him who said it. It was James Earl Jones. And what he actually said was, if you build it, he will come. And this line is so taken out of context and becomes such a cliche and ultimately so part of our creative mythology culturally that if you Google the phrase, the second most searched term is build it and they will come Bible, meaning We are so sure of the infallibility of this idea that we believe it's biblical. It's that is how much it's become creative dogma. It's become creative religion. This, I think, is a problem. So maybe you say, Andy, okay, I agree that it's a problem, that you can't just make the art and it will find its audience. What do you do about it? I think the first thing you gotta do is accept that it's your job to be memorable. It's your job to to get your audience to know about your work. It's not enough to just be making creative fires uh, alone on your desert island and expect to be discovered. It's just not that simple. Uh, And so that's the first thing you got to do. Now, have you ever been at school, like in high school, elementary school, what have you, and had your mom unannounced show up in the doorway of one of your classes? I did. Ceramics class, high school. I All of a sudden, I'm joking around with my buddy, Kurt, and I turn over and there is my mom, my stepmom in the doorway. And I about have a panic attack. I run over to her and I'm like, mom, is somebody dead? And she's like, I'll talk to you in the car, which loosely translated from mom to teen means, yes, someone is dead. You, you're dead. (laughs) And my heart is pounding. And I felt this kinship to a character from another Tom Hanks movie, Michael Clark Duncan, walking to the electric chair as we move towards the uh, my, my mom's car. And I felt like these are my last steps on this earth. Uh, and I get in the car and pretending to just be an innocent, concerned citizen, I ask, is everything okay? Which loosely translated from teen to mom means, if you don't tell me what is going on, I'm gonna have a heart attack. And I'm t- <laughs> she said, uh, I'm taking you to the police station. And I was like, oh, okay, trying to play dumb. Any particular reason? She wanted me to squirm. Uh, are we going on a tour? Uh, and she said, they, they called asking me to bring you in for questioning. And I was like, uh, about what? 
And then she said something which was the most brilliant masterstroke of all mothers of all time. When I said, what did the police want to talk to me about? Do you know what she said? She said, you tell me. You tell me. She could have been careless. She could have screamed at me. She said, son, son, how could you get into a run-in with the law? My baby. But no, she said, you tell me. It was like watching Training Day for the first time when Denzel, you're like, no, Denzel, don't use that charming, cocky smile and unbeatable good looks for evil. No, Denzel. I'm sat there in the car, my head spinning, tripping from the angel dust laced question that Denzel washing mom to just make me smoke. (laughs) I said, before I could say anything, she followed it up with this. She said, if I learn anything in that police station that you don't tell me now, you're going to be in more trouble than you can imagine. And a punishment bigger than I could imagine was a heck of a scary proposition for someone who was currently puffing PCP with Denzel Washington in a minivan outside of my high school with only my stepmom. My imagination is pretty much all I've got. It's pretty, pretty big. And she masterminded it against me. I could imagine some terrible, terrible punishments. I had to tell her everything or who knew what could happen. But wait, my own inner Denzel piped up with some cunning of his own. I scraped for anything. I was like, did the police officer tell you anything? And she said, almost nothing. Aha, something. I said, what, what did they tell you? She's like, only something about a fire. And my heart sank. I instantly knew what she was referring to. That weekend, I told my parents I was staying at a friend's house when in reality, a bunch of us went camping in the woods uh, with a bonfire on private, private property. I spilled the beans, but if that wasn't enough, I had to start tapping on the end of the bean can. (laughs) I had to get every single thing out. Wasn't just that we were camping illegally in the woods with a bonfire. We also uh, were doing so with girls. And that wasn't enough. I had to get the bean spoon and scrape the last beans off the top of the can and say, yes, we had illegal substances. I pled guilty. I spilt every bean. I'm telling you, it was excruciating. My guts were spilled in an effort to get a lighter sentence. And uh, we went to the police station and I was quickly whisked away into an interrogation room with a real cop. That was intimidating, but nothing compared to the fake cop that my mom had just played in the Denzel movie that I'd just been in. In fact, this guy had nothing on my mom. He just jumped straight in, giving away the whole thing. He's like, okay, Mr. Miller, we had eyewitnesses there that say that you were at the fire. Tell us everything you know. And I was like... Okay, Uh, we were having a bonfire in the woods and I don't know whose property. And he's like, hold on, sir. We both know we're not talking about a bonfire. Not a bonfire? What was he talking about? And then it hit me like some PCP laced dank hashish. I was speechless. I was catatonic. There was just one panic stricken stroke of insight reverberating down the spine of my very bean being. And it was about beans. It was maybe, maybe I should have left some of those beans at the top of the can. Uh, 
sir, I don't really know. Don't play dumb with me, boy. I have key eyewitnesses to say that you, one Andrew Miller, was instrumental in the armchair fire in North High School's parking lot. He screamed as he threw a chair against the wall. Okay. He didn't throw a chair, but he did say all that stuff. And I was like, honestly, officer, I have no idea what you're talking about. You've got the wrong guy, I tell you. And he's like, impossible. What's your middle initial, son? J, we said in unison. Then it hit me. My name is so common that unlike Michael Fox, my middle J isn't even original enough to make you pause when you hear the name without it for a second think, wait, who's Michael Fox? And then go back and say the name with the J and be like, oh, crap, I just went back in time in a mental DeLorean to solve that mystery just like I am Michael J. Fox. Andrew J. Miller is just not distinctive enough. Wait, I said, did these witnesses call this kid AJ? Correct, the officer said. And were these kids in band? What's your point, Mr. Miller? You've got the wrong guy. The guy you're looking for is a band geek who's a foot shorter than I am and just happens to have the same name. I lit my cigarette, stood up as my mom slid on my leather jacket, and I ended it with, Damn it, officer, that lazy detective work just cost me my life. My social life, that is. Credits roll in a freeze frame. You read the details of what happened after the movie. That month, Andy's parents sold his car, really did happen, and grounded him for three months for the confession of the Woodland Bonfire of 2003. Officer Frank Abagnale continued his sloppy detective work until one day arresting himself after watching popular 2002 movie, Tom Hanks movie, <laughs> Catch me if you can, refusing to listen to the court, which explicitly said there's no evidence that you did the crimes in this movie. In fact, you weren't even born yet. Unconvinced, Officer Frank Abagnale put himself in contempt and put him gave himself a life sentence of house arrest. And when asked why, his only answer was same name. When word spread of the genius detective work of Andy's stepmom, she was recruited to replace Officer Abagnale. Columbus, Indiana now enjoys a less than negative 2% crime rate. What's my point? Well, let's start with what AJ did. It's not rocket science. The only reason that you light an armchair on fire on school property is to get some attention. But here's what he didn't realize. It's not enough to create some fire. You've got to do more than that. You gotta spell it out. Otherwise, some dude with much smaller fire in the right place at the right time is gonna take all the credit. We think it's enough to make creative fire, to make creative brilliance, but y'all, it was the police officer's job to find this kid and he couldn't do it. How much harder is it gonna be for someone to find you? When they're just consuming your creative work for pleasure, being found, being discovered is not your audience's job. It's yours. Even with the name, this police officer couldn't find the guy. And that's the effort that most of us, that's the only effort that most of us put into being memorable. We make the art, make some creative fire and sign our name and think that's that. You know, I question whether I should even tell this story, given that this kid's high school crime was in it. But then I thought, no, Andrew Miller is as invisible as an alias. In fact, there are over 3,700 Andrew Millers in America. 
Go searching for the name. It's not even the worst that you will find. So nobody ever ask me ever again why I call myself Andy J Pizza. I believe that the desert island artist is a fallacy. We are social animals. We are inseparable from each other. We know that in solitary confinement, uh, that we 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 lose it. It's it's actually inhumane. It's literally unhuman to go offline from the rest of the species. Those in deep isolation actually lose their sense of identity. I think maybe that means that there are no true desert island artists in it just for self-expression because without others, there is no self to express. I want you to quit toiling in, in obscurity, working on your creative fires alone. It's time to build a raft. It's time to risk the lives of your imaginary friends so that you can make some real connection. Honestly, I have so many moments flailing in the water, watching the shore of my comfort zone drift away as I risk humiliation in the process of getting my stuff out there. Wilson, will somebody please buy my art? I've been there. It's heartbreaking. It's hard to leave the safe art island of our comfort zones. And although I think there's a time for toiling in obscurity, I also believe the impulse below our urge to build creative fires starts with self-expression, but hopes for social connection. The story of ratting myself out to my mom for no actual reason in the end spread like wildfire through my school. I became famous for how I dug my own grave, but don't be like me getting famous for an epic death. Make effort now to connect with your audience so that you can truly be known while you're still alive. Okay, so the first thing <laughs> after that giant fire story, uh, which I hope you enjoyed, the first thing is accepting the job. It's your job. Accept that it is your job to be found. It's not their job to find you. They're not the police officer. And even if they were, you got to make it easier if you want the attention. Okay, that's number one. Accept that it's your job. Number two is like me, you got to spill the beans, man. Tell on yourself. Don't wait for people to figure it out. Hit them over the head with this. Okay, here's what I'm talking about. We all say, we all say that we hate trailers that give away the whole story. Now, I think if they really did truly give away every part of the story and, and, and really the, the surprise ending, uh, you know, good stories usually end in a surprise. Um, if they really did give it all away, then I do think we wouldn't love that. But we all claim to say we hate trailers when they tell you the, all the whole dang story, right? But the, our ticket sales say the opposite, say the contrary. Why do... Why do trailers use the hero's journey? Why do they tell a whole story? They do it because it works, because they have found over time that those trailers get people to watch the movie. Why? Because they tell you that you're going to like this. And in fact, 
This is a technique that has older than time the greatest storyteller ever on this planet, James Cameron, did it. Not James Cameron. I'm just kidding. He's not the greatest storyteller of all time. But it is a good example. Titanic. We all know how that one ends, right? But it didn't stop anybody. If if anything, it made people show up because they knew they were going to like that story because they knew it was a story. They knew it had a surprise ending, you know, an ending that came in a way that is not is unusual, right? It's worth telling a story about. Uh, but who I was actually talking about was Shakespeare. Shakespeare at the start of his most famous play, Romeo and Juliet, says these people are going to die, so you better listen up, okay? That's how they got them to lean in. And yet creators all the time, we feel like we have to bury the lead. We have to keep the juice completely secret until the very moment they're ready, until you've really built everything just right and then smack them over the head with, guess what? I'm actually good at this. No, don't do that. You can't afford to do that. And actually, you'd be surprised by how, uh, how in, you know, uh, Hannah Gadsby on her latest special, I love this thing that she did where she's like, hey, I'm going to tell a Louis C.K. joke and it's really good and you are going to love it. You're going to, you're going to freak out. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to love it because it's a great joke. Then, uh, and you're going to forget about this joke. And then you're going to remember that I told you you were going to forget. And then you're going to laugh that you did forget. And then you're going to laugh <laughs> that you're laughing at how I told you, you were going to forget. And there's going to hit you three times. That's the power of setting it up. It's actually a superpower to be like, here's what's great about this thing. It actually pre-frames it. You know, there's a study about pre-framing from, uh, it's one of the Ivy League schools. They had uh, a teacher come in to a new class and they gave half of, they gave all the students a pamphlet. The students thought it was the same pamphlet about this teacher, but actually half of the pamphlets said that this teacher's great, but she's kind of cold. And then the other half said, this teacher's great and she's really warm. Everyone thinks she's super friendly. And then after the class, everybody wrote a review of the teacher and what did they say? They said they're great, but if they got the pamphlet that said that she was cold, they said that she was cold. And if they said, and, and if, you know, vice versa, that's the power of pre-framing things. Pre-framing is a very, very powerful tool and do not be afraid to use it. Shakespeare wasn't. James Cameron wasn't. was one of the biggest movies of all time. Love it or hate it. Uh, that's the power of the trailer. In the sequel, if you have Frozen and it's one of the most successful movies of all time, you can get away with the next trailer being a little bit of a teaser. But unless you are in the shoes of Elsa, you need to be a little bit more forthright about what's great about what you do. Quit hiding your creative fire. Spill the beans. Tell on yourself. I was working with a uh, group of students in Denmark virtually uh, a few years back. I got to actually go there and talk with the students, but um, because of COVID, we were doing it virtually. And I kept going back to this idea of like, if you're making comics, I'm sure there are moments in this comic deep within, like if the best parts are always usually at the end, but the level of investment 
Do you know, like when you're listening to someone tell a story and you don't know if you can trust that they know what a story is or they're good at telling stories the whole way through, you're like, I don't know if I should be holding on to this information or not. I don't know if I should be investing. What if the end of this story is, so I got coffee that day. And you're like, oh my gosh, why was I burning all of these mental calories watching this? You know, uh, but once you trust them, you're willing to invest, but they don't know whether they can trust you or not. And so I said, don't hire the greatest thing about your first comic at the end of this comic, make a trailer, make something that, you know, it's been an amazing creative endeavor for me to take stories from the podcast and put them on TikTok in less than a minute. It is a clarifying exercise. You think I can't possibly take something that is 15 minutes long and get it down to a minute. And I think that there's always, there is value in the full comic. The trailer isn't as good as the movie, but it's an exercise. And then it's an exercise that will actually help you get better. Don't hide it. Tell on yourself, spill every bean, smack that into the bean can, get the bean spoon and get it out there. And you need to have, make something that summarizes that your true fans can actually point to when they're trying to introduce you. This was something that I, this is why I started making stuff for TikTok and, and Instagram and making carousels of my stories is because I realized that anybody that loves this podcast, if they're trying to give it to a friend and they don't know whether they can trust me uh, to deliver the creative goods, they're saying, hey, try this out. It'll only take an hour and a half of your life. You're like, my goodness, I don't think I'm ready to give over an hour of my life to somebody I don't know if I can trust. And so I started making these comics and these videos and these essentially trailers of my work. And so do not be afraid to spill the beans. Figure out what is the juiciest, best stuff that I have and how can I get to that to the forefront? We've talked about this recently on the show, but I keep learning more about it, this idea of pre-framing, this idea of spilling the beans this is the same thing that happened with Invisible Things to me, the Invisible Things poster, which is a, if you're new to the podcast, that's a big part of my uh, work for kids is these creatures called Invisible Things. They're personified, abstract ideas, things you can't see, things like love, fear, dark matter, you know, science things, emotion things, sensory things that are outside of your vision, things like smells, things you can't see, invisible things. And I was putting this stuff in my work and I was pitching ideas for these projects years and years ago, at least all the way back to 2012 was the first thing I pitched on this. And I was putting them in all my work, but I was never, I was, I was always waiting for the punchline. I wanted them to read the book and get it and be like, whoa, man, this is amazing. But I found that there's so much power in just spilling the beans, just stress spilling the beans. <laughs> I love saying that seriously, um, getting your not hiding it, not bearing the lead. And so what is the juiciest thing that you have to offer your best ideas? And how can you, just like Shakespeare, put them at the top of the play? If anything, it will just make them that much more satisfying. This is a quick one. This will give you a quick when something you can do right now. Uh, the third one is have a signature. Okay. We talked about why 
I go by Andy J Pizza because there are a million Andrew Millers. There are a million Andrew J Millers. There's times when I go to a gym or something and I'm like, oh, I'm Andrew Miller. And like, what's your middle initial? Uh, J. And like, okay, we've got four of those. And you're like, no. So there's, here's the thing about uh, having a signature. You know, what I want you to do is be like the wet bandits from Home Alone, okay? A signature move attached to a name. They, what they did was they robbed houses. That was their, that was the essence of what they were doing. You know, the essence of your creative stuff, you know, what actually matters, but that's the coffee. You got to put it in a cup. You got to put it in a, in a nutshell that people can hold. You can't just pour raw coffee into their hands. Okay. you yes. Okay. Wet bandits. What it's actually about is they are robbers. That's the key. The whole signature is a flourish that has nothing to do with it, which is in Home Alone, they left the water running. It's just a way to, it's just their calling card. And they had a name, the Wet Bandits. You got to do the same thing. Don't be like AJ and just think it's enough to set the fire. You've got to have, you've got to have a calling card, okay? Time Magazine, there's a, uh, there was a little article I read about how it takes 30 times of you hearing a name for you to commit it to memory. And so if you have a different name on every platform, just times that by 30. If you have, if you're different on Twitter and you're different on Instagram and you're different on TikTok and they're coming into your realm and all those different places, it's going to take, if they're different names, everyone, that's 90 times that they're going to have to come across you before they commit it to memory. This is a quick win. Have a name that is unique and have an avatar and a handle that is the same across all platforms so that you can make it so easy to commit you to memory. It it doesn't matter. I get there's the creator in me that says, but it's not about that, man. It, It should be about the art and it is about the art. But if you're going to get them to invest, if you're going to get them to even remember you, you're going to have to do the superficial things of leaving the water running. So what is your water running? What is your, how can you make your avatar on all platforms the same so that you can make it your job to be remembered? So I've been, uh, you're going to hear about this, okay? I've been reading this book, Whole Brain Living by Jill Bolte-Taylor. Uh, I've been reading it. You're going to hear about it because I've been thinking about it. And, uh, you know, I think this episode, I hope this episode was fun for you. I hope that uh, my silly story made this idea, idea memorable because it's it's a core value of the show and of my practice to remember that the cup that you put the coffee in matters, that the package that you put the essence in matters. Uh, People judge books by their cover. And I think, um, you know, the reason I brought up the whole brain living thing is I I think that this is the right brain making friends with the left brain. You know, I think that the right brain and most creative people are at least playing from the right brain or, and a lot of them are dominant right brain people. And I think that, uh, I think it means that 
we know the stuff that really, really matters. And so, uh, and that's the essence of the creative stuff. And it causes us to ignore the stuff that, that kind of matters. Um, but the package of, you know, putting all of those things in sync mean that we get what really matters, which is connection. And I think that there are so many musicians, um, super pop stars that go around and steal credit for other people's fire that, you know, that, that look at what's happening in the underground and co-opt it and repackage it for the mainstream and repackage it in a way that's accessible and they get all the credit for it. And I'm, you know, I'm not here to name names. I know you guys want me to get, uh, you know, get the drama flowing, but I'm not doing that. (laughs) Not that anybody cares about my opinion about that, but but I just, I just wanted to leave you with a very candid last thought about how um, I hope that these three ideas, owning the connection is your job, uh, you know, spilling the beans, telling on yourself and having a signature. Uh, I hope those things help you take the hope, hope you hope they help you package your essence, your creative essence in such a way that you connect in a deeper way, because that's what it's all about. This repackaging, it's not just about making an extra buck. It's as much about that as it is about um, ensuring that your stuff doesn't go unnoticed by people who need it and, and, and people you need to connect with. So I hope that helps. Hope this was fun. And, uh, Don't hide your creative fire. Oh, you thought that was the end of the episode? Well, you were wrong about that because uh, we're going to try out a new segment called Extra Pep, where I let a guest come on and share something they're working on and deliver some extra pep, uh, an added juicy tip or strategy for your creative practice. This one from Grace came to me at an important time. It was exactly what I needed to hear. So I hope you love it. And I hope you check out her book. Here she is. Hey, everyone. My name is Grace Michelli. I'm an artist and author. You might know me as Art Baby Girl Online. Today, I wanted to share a creative career tip with you, something that has helped me out so much over the years, and that is learning to stay when you want to run away. Dealing with ourselves requires a lot, and often it's easier to fixate on the future or obsess over the past instead of paying attention to what is going on right here, right now. And this is really hard. I won't pretend that I don't spend a lot of time avoiding or escaping so that I don't have to face reality, but awareness is the first step in being able to move towards change. How often do you let yourself stare at the blank page without immediately opening your phone to check social media, to compare what you are doing to what everyone else has going on? It can be so uncomfortable to sit with silence, but I found that creativity can really bloom in those quiet moments when we aren't always reaching for something to distract ourselves with. If you keep yourself busy embracing the hustle mentality, always going, always doing, it's hard to know how you're really feeling or to know what you really want. Having goals are important, but I often wonder if we spend too much time 
chasing after a fantasy version of a potential future, one in which we will finally be able to enjoy all of our hard work and appreciate our success. But what if we tried to do that right now? If we only focus on the future, we aren't really able to enjoy everything we have already accomplished. I try my best to slow down, even if it's for a moment, and remind myself of how far I've come and how grateful I am for all of the experiences that I've had, the good and the bad, and all of the lessons that I've learned. There is no way to know what comes next. When you commit to following the creative path, you commit to a life of uncertainty, but I think it's wise to embrace that and sit with it, to try to be excited about all of the possibilities instead of convincing ourselves that worrying equates to work. That's just another way to escape. For me, it feels a lot better to try and embody the present and stay in the moment, even if it can be totally overwhelming at times. So I encourage you to think on all of this, and the next time you sit down to create and immediately jump to the nearest distraction, Just take a moment to pause and check in with yourself and try to stay right there. If you found this tip helpful, my new book, How to Deal, is available wherever books are sold May 4th. It's a collection of colorful illustrations, comics, diary entries, and writing. In How to Deal, I'm approaching self-help and self-awareness through a playful and friendly but still sincere and honest lens. I hope it makes you smile and that after reading it, you feel a little bit less alone while you navigate your own journey. Sign up to our newsletter at creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter. You'll receive an email each week when a new episode is out so you never miss one. Plus, you'll get instant, instantaneous access to the exclusive uh, back catalog of our episodes, the old shows, episodes one through 199. Massive thanks to Y for our theme music. Shout out to Alex Sugg for our creative pep talk soundtrack. Thanks to Sophie Miller, a.k.a. Sophie Pizza. Uh, and Ryan Appleton for content assistance. Massive thanks to Connor Jones for editing our show beautifully. And thanks to all of you for tuning in until we speak again. Stay pepped up.